Welcome to another episode of Terrell Paranormal Talk, where we discuss all things supernatural, weird, and unexplained. I'll leave you to one of our esteemed investigators hosting today, and perhaps you will leave a little wiser and a little closer to having your curiosity satisfied. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, this is Mira Jarrow with Terrell Paranormal Podcast. I have with me today Brenda Newby. She is a certified field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, known as MUFON. MUFON is an internationally recognized expert on the UFO phenomena. Thank you for joining us today. Brenda, could you explain the change in the acronym from UFO to UAP? Well, before they were UFOs, what were they called? Flying saucers. Flying saucers, exactly. (laughs) It's almost like a rebranding. That has been done by our federal government when they were implementing a program called the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program, which we'll talk about later. UAP stands for Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon, and it's basically to try to get away from the stigma and the conspiracy theory beliefs that we once were believed to have held. It's erasing that taboo, essentially, is what it's doing, trying to to put a fresh face on it. Can you set the stage for us regarding the UAPs that were captured on radar on this occasion? Absolutely. This is kind of what it looked like. This was a carrier strike group that was in the middle of the ocean. There were submarines. There were fighter pilots coming on and off the carrier. The carrier group was called the Nimitz Group. Because the primary plane that the F-18s launched off of was the Nimitz. And its radar ship was the USS Princeton. And they were located off of the coast of San Diego, about 50 miles into the ocean. Can you identify the those first people who were involved in these sightings? Yes. Although there were numerous observers, there are three primary characters that I recall the most about. Two of them were radar specialists, one being a senior radar specialist, and the third one was actually the top security officer aboard the ship. The very first man to notice something was Lieutenant Kevin Day. He was the senior radar specialist on board the USS Princeton. He had his radar up, and he was watching as a couple of anomalous things that he couldn't identify immediately popped up on the radar screen. But as he sat there and watched, more and more started coming into view. And he said it was almost as if it was raining UAPs. He was so worried about them because these craft are in essentially what is a restricted airspace. I mean, they're doing training drills there for warfare. It was about pilot safety. It was about ship safety. And so these were a real concern. These craft apparently were flying at about 28,000 feet, and they were only going about 100 knots, which in perspective, that would cause any airplane to just simply fall out of the sky at that speed and that altitude. He also could not see any identification as far as their signatures or their markers. 
no evidence of any aircraft that he had been familiar with. He watched one of these objects at one point drop 28,000 feet towards the ocean. It plummeted into the ocean from 28,000 feet to ocean level in 0.78 seconds. I've been told if you do the calculation there, that's about 24,000 miles an hour or 30 times the speed of sound, which is pretty doggone fast. Where did he suppose that object disappeared to? Well, you know, that's funny because there's been some discussion about the disappearance of some uh, that radar data, which I'll talk about here in just a minute. They disappeared, and, and we know this only because Kevin Day could recall these events in such remarkable detail that these objects landed south of Baja, California. They wound up on Isla de Guadalupe, uh, Guadalupe Island, and then they disappeared. That area there happens to be home to a great white shark refuge. So there's a lot of researchers there, and there's a lot of fishermen there. These guys had been reporting unidentified flying objects in their in the space over their heads for decades. But this is the first time we're actually counting them from the ship's point of view, uh, at least the radar ship. This is the, um, the second thing. There's this guy named Gary Voorhees. He was also a naval radar specialist on the USS Princeton II. That day that he saw two or three objects pop up on the screen along with Kevin Day, they thought it was a glitch at first. So they rebooted the system. When it booted back up, there the objects remained until there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. He immediately thought, okay, this is dangerous. I'm going to file a report. So it was Kevin Day who went to retrieve the evidence of the radar screen, the recording of the radar screen, and the recording of the communications that had taken place between him and the F-18s and him and the submarine and him and, I'm sorry, Gary Gary Voorhees, that was his name. They were missing. They were gone. Disappeared. Had they malfunctioned or were they just gone? No. um, According to Gary Voorhees, they had been disappeared. That two guys jumped out of a helicopter that came out of nowhere and suddenly landed on the USS Princeton got out and asked to release all the data. And that was it. And even later, his name Christopher Mellon. He was a um, department assistant for the Defense of Intelligence. He was an officer there. He tried to contact the National Archives to get them to release any information on that day. And they had some stuff that morning. But as far as the actual sighting and documentation of the UAPs on radar and the communications back and forth, that was all missing. It was gone. Okay, and was this the instance of the radar acknowledgement that he claimed it was raining UFOs? Yeah, this was all of that data. All that data was gone. Another person that comes to mind immediately is this guy named Sean Cahill, and I don't know what his rank and all that was. I know he was the top security officer on the USS Princeton, He was asked, when they were getting this radar confirmation that these craft were out there flying, he was asked to basically see if he could observe it off the actual deck of the ship. And so him and another gentleman had walked up there, and they weren't told what they were looking for. 
they were only told that there's something in the sky and just asked if he could get a visual on it. There was another another craft in the sky. That's what he did. And he said he observed this constellation of lights and that they were kind of moving in a spiral. The lights would fade in and fade out. And he said, you knew instantly it wasn't normal. These were not stars. These were not identifiable aircraft. It was completely abnormal. And the gentleman he was with dropped to his knees and began to pray. It shook him so deeply and rattled his faith to the core, which is completely understandable. As a matter of fact, Sean Cahill went to file a report about it. There was a briefing scheduled. As soon as they walked in the room and sat down, the officer who was delivering the briefing pulled up the slide, and it was a little alien in a spacecraft, which, you know, okay, it's cute, it's tongue-in-cheek, but his response was basically, we've had our fun, it's time to move on. And that just kind of goes to show you that there's this deep need to delegitimize the experience of someone who has had a visual experience of a UFO or UAP. Did the officer conducting the briefing accept or acknowledge these specialists' court? No, not at all. Not at all. They went on with the briefing, and as a matter of fact, Cahill had gotten back to Kevin Day, and he had asked him about it, and Kevin Day simply said, go look at your email. And Kevin Day went and sat down at his computer, opened his email up, and there was the very first video. The video was labeled Tic-Tac. Tic-Tac. Because the object looked like a Tic-Tac in the video. The candy mint. The candy mint. Smooth sides, no emblems, no markers. Oh, we've got a thunderstorm. We've got a little ambiance. Can you tell us where that video came from? That video came from helmet scope of an F-18 fighter pilot. And so we segue into four days after these Tic Tacs appeared on the radar screen. One of the fighter pilots by the name of Commander David Fravar, he was a graduate of the Top Gun Academy. He was an adrenaline junkie. He was able to perform the aircraft acrobatics that Mm -hmm. we see so often with the Blue Angels and all of that. And then he had another pilot, his wingman, in another F-18. Her name was Lieutenant Alex Dietrich. Both of them had weapons specialists in the back of their F-18. So there were four of them who were witnesses to all of this. The first guy to contact them was Kevin Day off the USS Princeton. And so they got radar or radio communications from him saying, we need to switch into a real-life scenario. It was surprising because it just kind of came out of nowhere. So he says, do I understand you correctly, real world? He said, yes, real world. He said, okay. So he gave him the coordinates. Fravor and Dietrich went down. They were just real close to the surface of the ocean, and they saw just these white caps. Immediately, Lieutenant Dietrich, she said that she thought, oh gosh, a plane's gone down and we're just seeing what's left of it. But a few seconds later, this tic-tac jumps 
out of the ocean. They ascend to a higher altitude to try to get a good look at it. David Fravor says, I'm going to go down and see if I can meet it. So as he's going down, this thing is mirroring his movements and it's coming up. And he said pretty soon they were almost level with each other. And that's when he was able to capture that Tic Tac video. That was eventually sent to Kevin Day, that video, and then sent to Cahill as well. It was described by these two trained observers, these pilots, as being like a ping pong ball. You drop a ping pong ball and it just bing, 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 bing. That's exactly how they described it. That's amazing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, something that I I failed to mention, the submarine clocked it going, okay, we're going to, we'll just cut that out. It was behaving like a ping pong ball. I remember Lieutenant Dietrich had mentioned that she felt so vulnerable because they did not have any weapons aboard their F-18s. They were just doing drills. She just felt a little exposed out there with this object that they can't predict. It's just moving so erratically. What if it tries to crash them or what if it shoots a weapon at them? They they didn't know what they were looking at. They had no clue. So when they got back to the ship, they had explained that they had captured it on, it was the helmet video. And what happens is when these pilots put this helmet on, that is how they line up their target. So it's all done through the helmet. Fravor said that if he lifted his helmet and he was just looking for it, he could not see it. But as soon as he put his helmet back on, he could get visual on it. Did the helmet have infrared yes. capability? Yes, it did. It had a, a thermal capacity to it as well. So it wasn't just that there was a different light spectrum on it, but there was also a thermal uh, spectrum on it, which makes this evidence even more indisputable. Well, let me ask you about the submarines. When that descended into the ocean... Were they able to track it? They were. They were. And I don't have the exact measurements in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, this tic-tac was clocked doing about 30 knots. And that is hard on top of the ocean. 30 knots is top cruising speed for a cruise ship. That's on top of the ocean. This is in the ocean. So it traveled far faster than anything we could possibly put underwater. That's incredible that they went from a rather routine training exercise until suddenly becoming a real life exercise, as she said, without weapons. Yeah, yeah. And when she got there, she thought, oh, it's an airplane that's gone down. And she said her heart sank, her heart sank, because you never want to see a a fellow pilot go down. But, you know, that's one of the characteristics of these aircraft is that, number one, it can cloak itself or it can hide itself. And we see that because David Fravor wasn't able to see it with his own eyes. He can only see it through his uh, helmet, his target scope. It's basically the scope, like the scope of a rifle. And then the fact that it travels through water, it travels through our atmosphere, and then it travels through space. I know that they clock these things upwards of 80,000 feet, which we don't fly 80,000 feet. Also, they have the ability to move beyond terminal velocity. They move so fast. 
and they move from a stopped position to a hyperaccelerated position, and then it'll stop, and then it'll change trajectory. It's not something that pilots can do now or they'd be crushed to death. So those are some important characteristics of these crafts that they're seeing. We know there were three videos released by the government. So this one video was released by Fravor. Where did the other two videos come from? That is a good question. Uh, for those who haven't seen the videos, I'll make sure that we include a link to the videos in the show notes. But there were officially three videos that were released and declassified by the Pentagon as truly being UAPs. There are a total of three videos that have been declassified. Now, these were declassified in 2000, 2017 and 2018. They were released to the media and the Pentagon had declassified them because they realized, well, they're already out there. They've already been seen. And they were leaked by a man named Christopher Mellon. And we'll talk about him and his role in the second half of this podcast, which we'll deliver here in a couple of weeks. The, the three videos that were originally shown to the public were the Tic Tac video, which was taken off the Nimitz in 2004. And then the other two, one was called Go Fast. It was a disc-shaped object, and the gimbal, which looks like a children's top, you spin it, and it just undulates on its own axis, and it will do this at winds of 100 knots in a stationary position. That's just unheard of. There's no aircraft that can do that. Those last two came from the East Coast. There was a man named Lieutenant Ryan Graves. He was aboard the Roosevelt Carrier Strike Group. He was up in his plane the year, the summer of 2014 to the summer of 2015, reporting that they were seeing these objects on a daily basis and that several occasions they had come so close to these airplanes, these fighter jets, when they were doing their drills that they almost caused mid-air collisions. So he decided he was going to report them, and he reported them and never heard back. Well, let me talk about who this man is. He is not only a fighter pilot, but he trains fighter pilots. He is a combat section lead. He's done two tours in the Middle East. And he's got a degree in aerospace engineering. So when he's not flying planes, teaching people how to fly those planes, fire jets specifically, then when he's not doing that, he's an aerospace engineer. I mean, he's the most credible guy you could imagine. I'm sure he was surprised when they never got back to him, especially considering that they have these videos now. Another thing that he noted was that the objects followed him and the USS Princeton. That whole strike group went to the Middle East. They were seen, either they were already there, or they followed them there, or whatever. But here are these strange aircraft in the Middle East now. So the entire strike group went to the Middle East. Yes. And they have reported seeing at least the same type of UAPs in the Middle East. Yes. The story that sticks with me is out of the East Coast here. I mean, this is 10 years after the Nimitz. It wasn't the only type of craft that were seen. Lieutenant Graves had gotten back from a training run, and he was talking to the pilots about to go up 
after him about what he had seen. And when that group of pilots got back, he said he got out of that fighter jet. And the guy just was pale and had no blood left in his face. (laughs) That he was just ashen. He was scared. And told him that an object in a sphere, and it had a cube inside of it, and that cube would rotate. And the pilot said it got eye level to him. And he said, I've looked at it right on. It was right there. I'm surprised they ever get that guy back up in the air, to be honest with you. Brenda, how did these videos come to be released by the military? Well, you know, that's interesting. There was a a group called the uh, ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And I want to say it was started in 2008, 2009. And the man who ran that program was a Marine with top secret security clearance by the name of Lou Elizondo. He had gotten so frustrated trying to get the attention of the Pentagon. He saw these things as an immediate and imminent threat to national and possibly even global. He felt like he could do more as a citizen because as he tried to push it up to the chain to General Maddox, uh, Mattis rather, and we all know Mattis, they don't call him Mad Dog for, for nothing. He takes this stuff really, really seriously and Elizondo knew that he'd want this in his hands. But it wasn't long before Elizondo realized they didn't want him to find answers. They wanted him to explain it away and sweep it under the rug. Well, he wasn't going to do that. So as a civilian, he could release this video. And that's what wound up happening was the former assistant, the secretary of the Department of Defense, Chris Mellon, actually leaked all three videos to the New York Times. This came by way of an organization that was co-founded by Elizondo and Tom DeLong. Um, You may know him from Blink-182. He retired, and this is what he decided to spend his retirement on, and he has been one of the best things that could have ever happened to UAP research. Christopher Mellon was part of that group, and Christopher Mellon was actually the one who released or leaked these videos to the New York Times. There is so much information about these events. It's a lot. (laughs) What will you be covering in the subsequent podcast? Well, the next podcast, I want to show a little bit more focus on what's happening globally, what some other countries are seeing, and what... Our Congress and the Intelligence Committee and the Pentagon are doing now, and some of those key players in that. The thing about this subject is that it is going to rock the foundation of everything we've come to believe about ourselves as human beings living on the planet Earth. And especially those people of strong faith, This is going to be very, very difficult for anybody to digest. It's going to make us pull apart what we thought to always be true. It's going to just destroy that. I hope that it will be for the better. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. And perhaps it will happen in our lifetime. I do believe strongly it will happen in our lifetime. But this is the thing is that we need to continue to hold the government accountable. 
So I know there's a hideous war in Ukraine, genocide, war crimes, horrific things happening. There's the coronavirus. There's just a million other things that we can focus on and push this to the back burner. But the bottom line is we cannot put our heads in the sand very long because before we know it, it's going to be on our doorstep and we're not going to be prepared. Brenda, I thank you for sharing this with us today. And I am eagerly awaiting for the second part because I know that as much as you shared today, there's a lot more to learn about this subject. It is a lot, I know. Thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast and listening, giving us the share of your time. The uh, relevant links are listed below in the show notes. Make sure you click on follow so that you can keep up with our podcasts as they come out. If I can end with a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson. If our solar system is not unusual, then there are so many planets in the universe that, for example, they outnumber the sum of all sounds and words ever uttered by every human who has ever lived. To declare that Earth must be the only planet with life in the universe would be inexcusably big-headed of us. Thank you. Thank you. Give some love by subscribing to our podcast to make sure you get your weekly paranormal fix. We are delighted that you have joined us today. There's plenty more stories and interviews to come. Remember, it is all a good day.